The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. PFTOT Monday edition PFTPM podcast. Also, Chris Sims still here. I am here. He made his typical daily post show. I have to go pee. You've got the prostate of a 60 year old. No. Well, I mean, I drank some coffee and I drink a lot of water when I wake up and I don't know. It's just the way it is. I don't know why you're drinking diet Coke. I needed caffeine. All right. So drink the real stuff. I, what's wrong with diet? Why would I drink the? Why would I drink a bottle of sugar? Why would you drink a bottle of chemicals? That's all right. There's okay. chemicals and sugar. It's either chemicals and sugar or just chemicals. You're better off with sugar than chemicals. All right. Thank uh, you. There, there I won our, that there argument. Goes, there goes there our go. Coke sponsorship. Not diet Coke. PFT Real Coke OT drink presented it. to you by Coke, <laughs> sugar, and chemicals. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, let's see. What do we got to talk about? Um, We've danced around this issue of the Packers, the Saints, the 49ers, but we didn't tee up today. The very simple question, who's the best team in the NFC? Right. I I go with the San Francisco 49ers. I do. I I, I can say that uh, without hesitation right now. Now, I understand that, hey, the New Orleans Saints, if they came to town, I certainly wouldn't be like, oh, my gosh, the Saints beat the 49ers. I would never think that could happen. No, I do think it's the 49ers, the Saints, okay? And I think there's a little gap between them and then the Packers. I do, just as a full team is concerned. But the 49ers, hey, we're all gushing about the New England Patriots defense. The 49ers are the number one defense in football, and it's by 10 yards. Now, the Patriots are winning in scoring defense with 7.6 points per game, but the, the 49ers are 11 points per game. So not only is the 49ers defense dominant, just like New England or anybody else out there, their offense is dominant too. I mean, their offense is six in football. And for some of these games, like we saw yesterday, they don't even have to play offense in the fourth quarter. So the stats are a little misleading that way. I just go with the 49ers uh, overall. I don't think it would be easy for them to beat the Saints, but I think they would beat the Saints in a close one. Well, and a lot of it depends upon where the game would be played. Sure. Too. I think yep. this, this upcoming 49ers at Saints game week 12, week 14, something like that. I think it's week 12. Packers 49ers week 14 49ers Saints so we get a little bit of a mini round robin the Packers and the Saints don't play in the regular season but at least see what the 49ers can do against the other two great teams in the NFC all right below that top cut let's take those three out of the mix so no first off but do you so would you would you rank them that way Probably. I don't want to agree with you, but probably 49ers, Saints, Packers, yeah. Do you you think there's a a little bit of a gap between the 49ers and the Saints as compared to the Packers and number three like I do? I'd say there's less of a gap between the 49ers and the Saints than there's between the Saints and the Packers. Gotcha. Okay. So I agree. Same way. Okay, cool. Okay, let's take those three out of the mix. Who's the best team left? Ooh, the best team left. Mm, Man, I mean, it's going to do a good conversation. The Cowboys, the Seahawks, the Vikings, the Rams. I, I am going to go, oddly enough, I think I'm going to go with the Dallas Cowboys. 
I don't know why I'm saying that. I'm just kind of coming up this right here, right now. Now, the Seattle Seahawks, I know. But I just still think I look at the Cowboys and think they're a really talented football team. Their offense is better than years past. They don't need to just totally rely on the run game. And I look at their defense and go, it's really talented there as well. Uh, so I'm going to give them the edge. Uh, but I don't necessarily feel real, real confident in saying that. Yeah, and, and look, I, I could make the argument for any one of the teams. Yeah. You know, the thing about the Vikings, they're eventually going to come up against a defense that can take away Dalvin Cook, and I think Kirk Cousins is not going to be able to get it done. We can heat the accolades on him. I think it comes down to Kirk Cousins or Aaron Rodgers for NFC Offensive Player of the Month right. for November. Right. I don't know that Rodgers did enough last night. Maybe that throw to the back of the end zone in prime time did it. But uh, Cousins has been great. Yes, he has. Once you take away Dalvin Cook, that's when it's going to be a real test for him. They've got some tough games coming up. Chiefs. Cowboys on the road, Broncos at home, then a week off and at the Seahawks on Monday Night Football. So we're learning a lot about how good the Vikings really are in the next yeah. few weeks. And the Seahawks. Hey, Cowboys, Seahawks, Vikings. Yeah. And the Vikings play two of them over the next month, so we'll get an idea. We'll get what a little idea. Yeah. I mean, the Seahawks, I understand, you know, hey, they're six and two and they got a better record than the Cowboys and they're tied with the Minnesota. But I guess I'm, there's a little trepidation, I think, with the Seahawks. I mean, yeah, they squeak out a win against the Rams at home where, you know, Zerline usually makes that field goal. You know, we, we talked a few times on the show, the Browns game a few weeks ago, they didn't play really very great. They didn't play great in that game. They were really outplayed by the Browns. Yes, they won the game. Even yesterday against the Falcons, clearly they were the better team on the field, but it wasn't to where I was like, oh, man, this Seahawks team, it's so dominant. Look at them go. And then, of course, they hit the blip on the screen last week where they were outplayed by the Ravens at home, too. So um, that's where I guess, you know, the Seahawks are good. I'm just not sure how good they are yet. Here's the thing, too. Yeah. If – Greg Zerline makes that 44-yard field goal on the Thursday night in early October. Mm -hmm. The Rams would be 6-2, and two, and your answer would have been, after that first cut, you would have said the Rams are the best team in the NFC. I'm probably. You're right. I, I still, let's not forget about the Rams. Uh, I mean, the Rams are still really good. They got difference makers on both sides of the ball. They're really well coached. They're tough and physical as hell. And, uh, you know, I know I've said this a bunch over the last two weeks. Let's just not forget. It was 7-7 seven to seven with them and the 49ers, and they had the ball third and goal on the one-foot one line going into score and didn't get any points, and that's kind of where the game changed from that point on. Uh, so, yeah, I think the Rams are capable of standing toe-to-toe -to -toe with anybody in football and winning a football game. So, yeah, I certainly uh, don't, don't forget about them. Well, the poor Cardinals still have to play the 49ers twice, and they're in the same division with the Seahawks and the uh, – Who's the 49ers, other team? They, Seahawks, Rams, Rams, oh, 49ers, 49ers yes. Cardinals, yes. Seahawks. Got yes. it. Um, this is this is Monday, and this is PFTOT. This is <laughs> Cardinals, Rams, 49ers, Seahawks in the NFC West. The Cardinals had a shot at the Saints on Sunday, and it was ten to six in the third quarter. The Cardinals were hanging tough. They get a turnover, Patrick Peterson interception, right? Yeah. And they they face fourth and short on their own thirty. And they go for it. Yep. And it, here's what Cliff Kingsbury had to say after the game. I felt like we did – well, wrong one. Wait, 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 wait. Here we go. Here, here's what Cliff Kingsbury had to say after the game. He said we felt like at that point after getting the turnover we had to make something happen. That's why he went for it. And, you know, apparently his gut told him he should do it. The analytics supported the decision to go for it. And, and I understand that you can uh, – analy look, analytics is part of it. Analy you should not – punch numbers into a calculator to make football decisions. 
especially when you have to then decide what play you're going to use. If your best play is run it up the middle against the Saints defense, analytics should say, no, don't do it. Punt instead. They needed to put the ball in Kyler Murray's hands, at least to have the threat that Kyler Murray was going to do something. But they did it, and he stands by it. And that was the turning point in the game. Yeah. Because then you give the ball back to the Saints, they score a touchdown, and instead of 10-6, to 6, it's 17-6, to 6 and the route is on. Yeah, that, I mean, it was a game-changing moment. And, um, you know, again, Cliff Kingsbury, they went on this little win streak because of his guts to go for it on a fourth down in Cincinnati. They kind of jump-started them there. And then they win three games, and okay, great. You know, but – uh, yeah, I don't agree with that decision. I mean, there's there's no other way to say it. I mean, if the game's 10 to 6, you know, Drew Brees and company are having a tough time kind of like finishing drives and scoring touchdowns and putting points on the board. So why do you give them the short field to go, hey, here you go, get some confidence, Drew. Go ahead, New Orleans Saints. You know, analytics are great, but it's like the old thing where, you know, we talk about like the tight end blocking the defense end, you know, which we saw again. Exactly. We saw, you know, looks good on the board. Right. Look on the board, on the whiteboard, my tight end blocked Khalil Mack. Look, I made the line and I crossed him and he's blocked. Oh, that's right. They're humans and one's a phenomenal pass rusher and like going to the Hall of Fame and the tight end's famous for catching balls, not blocking okay well here the analytics told me i should go over it and nobody's ever wrong with i'm a we're being aggressive i'm so sick of that crap in coaching right now we're being aggressive you can't question aggressive because it's aggressive we're trying to win the game oh yeah no you're not you're not trying to win the game it's stupid sorry i said it that's all right all right it's pftot i know you wanker so the, <laughs> back to your i know what you're gonna we're gonna say is the Cardinals aren't really known for running the ball. You're right. The play design, yet all week, and this is the biggest play of the game, we come up with let's run the ball up the middle with our 200-pound running back against the best, maybe the best run-stopping interior D-line in all of football. That's where I go, okay, the analytics are great, but, oh, right, these are humans on a field, and right. that's not so great right. there. That, that's the thing. And, and you hit the nail on the head. It's not a one-size-fits-all approach. Yes. You can't say just because over a period of years you have a better chance here of going for it on fourth and short than punting the ball to them and trying to play defense because history tells us that X percentage of time you're going to keep possession and ultimately score and Y percentage of time they're going to score if you punt the ball back to them. That has to take a back seat to the circumstances, to the feel to where you are, right. to where you are on the field, right. to how you feel about your play Match that ups. you have practiced. Yeah, right. How are the matchups? How does this team interact with that team? And, you know, the problem is that, that there's become like this group of analytics aficionados, I'll use the best possible term I can, who not only insist that they're always right, they will shout you down and call you a Philistine if you ever say, wait a minute, this isn't like doing math problems. This is more complicated. There is a visceral component of football that the analytics crowd refuses to acknowledge. Yeah. It is real. You've played it. I've played it at a far lower level than you, but I know that in that moment, it's not about what the numbers say. Right. How do your guys feel? Is somebody going to say something in the huddle? Is the quarterback going to say something that elevates the play of the team that they push a little bit harder? They try a little bit harder. They bust their butts because they don't want right. to have to answer to the coach when they go to the sideline. There's so many different things. You that got go a play into. that maybe you've been like holding for a two-point conversion exactly. for three weeks, and you're like, man, it's a great play. Okay, this now is the time to unveil it. it. Right. We're not. We're not just going to. Yes. Well, the analytics say go for it. All right. What are we going to do? Ah, let's let's uh, run it right up the middle. Yes. Yeah. I against know. a team that you can't run up the middle against. Right, with a running back who's not 
famous for running up the middle either. So uh, Cliff just Kingsbury so much goes into it. has been say, awesome. Be aware so, of the numbers. Yes. Be aware of the numbers. Factor it into your decision-making. But I don't like the idea that, well, this is what, hey, the analytics say we got to do it, so let's just do it. Then why do you even need a coach then? Right. Just have a have a, an IBM computer on the sideline making all your decisions for you every step of the way. Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm with you there. There, the, the that aspect kind of gets lost within the numbers at times. You're right, and hey, analytics are good. They certainly have a purpose. We know that, but the context of situations is important too. You know, it is. You know, it's it's just not always about stats and things like that. The stats can lie. You know, I mean, uh, we've talked about this a lot. Stats can lie. All you you can get you can be the lead leader in interceptions and you got burned all year but he had a few tip passes and the ball fell in your hand a bunch of times and all of a sudden you lead the league in interceptions everybody goes oh you're great you know you could be up there in sacks and it could be because of blitzes or the quarterback had to hold the ball forever and yeah the guys that you know all those things come into fact i'm just there's a human element i'm all all for i'm all for looking at the stats from every level the most superficial level is what you see when you pull up the stats of a team you, you, you don't see anything inside those bare raw numbers, like you're saying with yeah, interceptions. Right. And then you can go another level deeper. How many are, you you know, interceptions versus how many times have, have were you beaten? How, what's your what's the passer rating when they target you? Sure. Right. Right. You know, uh, I mean, Deion Sanders didn't get many interceptions because he never threw it his right, way. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So, I, you know, th- there's you can get deeper and deeper with the stats. And I'm all for that. But when you abdicate the responsibility for making decisions in the moment based on every factor possible. And the more you coach, the more you understand what you need to do in that moment. The moment you surrender that experience, that feel, those intangibles, your preparation, the plays you have in your book, how you feel about your personnel, do you have any injured starters out, all those things go into it. And once you start saying, well, we're going to do this because the analytics say we need to do it, that's when you've gone way too far with it. And that's where the analytics people need to realize. They need to sit down and shut up because there is a point where football takes over. It does have an important role, but it does not dictate and should not dictate what happens in every single case, in every single situation. It, it, and, and it is important, but it's not dispositive. That's my point. No, I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, yep. The analytics probably said, uh, Bill Belichick should have called a timeout at the end of the Seahawks Patriots Super Bowl, but his gut was, I'm looking across the sideline and they're all, and they're in, they're in disarray and they don't know what to do. So the analytics probably said, call a yeah, timeout. Call the timeout so you but have I'm time. here in the right. moment and I'm noticing that they're dysfunctional right now. Right. So I'm not going to. Yeah. And it takes that That's type a great of feel. point. That's yeah. a great point. Because yeah, the analytics would say, call the timeout so you have more time after right. they score a touchdown. You right. have to assume the percentage is high that they're going to score a touchdown. So you need to have the time left so you can go down and try to, right. But you're right. He sees, he senses, he feels. They don't know what the hell they're doing. Exactly. They're going to maybe call a bad play. Right. And then they come out in that formation that right. they were ready for. Mm-hmm. And uh, the and rest is history. Right. All right. Uh, the, the 49ers are great. And I know Richard Sherman would very much like us to say they're not great. They would like us to say he's not great. Because he is the master of finding and exploiting external motivation. And it's gotten to the point where it's laughable, where he knows that maybe it's being embellished a bit but that's okay he uh apparently richard sherman explained after the game that dante pettis 49ers receiver is friends with kyle allen the, the panthers quarterback and pettis said to sherman the plan is to go at you and and that got sherman pissed off and sherman acknowledges that pettis may have made it up right 
but it's so easy to push Richard Sherman's buttons. It's so easy. He's aware of how easy it is, and it still works. It's amazing. Well, that's why he's Richard Sherman. Uh, it doesn't take a lot for him to, you know, make it personal as far as athletic competition and finding that just whatever it can be to give him a little bit more of an edge to focus, to play harder, whatever it is. He is different that way. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. I, I mean, I, I mean, I just have a hard time believing that Kyle Allen would say that to Dante Pettis, especially before the game. I mean, if he did, that was stupid. I don't know other way to say it. I mean, you, you just you don't. Maybe after the game, if you wanted to acknowledge that, that's fine. But before the game, that does not make sense. I will say this. Uh, there's not a lot of weakness to this football team. And I think the, there's two things that I would like to see more going forward that just to totally make me feel good about the 49ers. We've talked about Garoppolo. Like we want to see when the run game's not working, can he carry the team with his, you know, throwing and decision-making and all that. The other thing is, if I am playing the 49ers, you know, they play a lot of single safety defense to where you get one-on-one type of matchups on the outside. Sometimes it's zone, sometimes it's man. It looks a lot the same there in San Francisco with how they play. But I would challenge him. I would at this point of his career. You know, he's not as fast as he once was. He doesn't change directions quite the way he used to. He's still a good player, but there's not a lot of weakness on this team. And if I was playing the 49ers, I would, I would test him early just to go, let's see where he's at. Let's see if he can handle our best receiver on go routes and comebacks and things like that. He acknowledged the possibility that Dante Pettis was making it up. And Sherman said, I'm not completely sure. Pettis knows how I am. So he could have not known this kid at all and just said that. I don't know if he said it, but Pettis said he said it. So it pissed me off. So it works. Yeah. Hey, whatever it takes, it works. Yes. And and after the game, Bruce Irvin, the Panthers pass rusher, said that the 49ers are okay. They're not world beaters. So there's some real external motivation that the what? 49ers can use. Yeah, what it's is going stupid. on? That is almost as bad as Joe Flacco coming out and saying things yesterday. Well, not not like the Panthers have to deal with the 49ers again. Once upon a time, they were in the same division, but not anymore. So uh, somebody else is going to have to deal with the wrath of the 49ers. It's going to be the Cardinals on Thursday night. All right, the – Cleveland Browns are two and five. And one of the big moves they made in the offseason, obviously, was a trade for Odo Beckham Jr. Mm-hmm. Odo Beckham Jr. is not having a great season. And he's also not winning. And, I, you know, it's one thing for a receiver to complain about not getting the ball when the team is winning. You come off as a selfish ass, right. man. Right. When the team is is losing and you're not getting the ball, then it's very easy to say, well, if I was getting the ball, maybe we'd be winning. So yeah. I, I'm justified to say what uh, what I want to say. And here's what he said yesterday. After the game, he was asked about Stephon Gilmore, and he praised Stephon Gilmore, and he was going against Stephon Gilmore. And what Odo Beckham Jr. said about the Browns' approach was, I felt like we didn't challenge as much as we could have. I think we kind of shied away from it. I was expecting and looking forward to it, but that wasn't the case today. We had a couple of plays, but for whatever reason, we didn't do as much challenging as we had talked about. Other than that, whatever came my way, pretty much I caught. Whatever opportunities I had, I made the most of them. You can only control what you can control. I mean, you know, I guess that's the most tactful way possible to say, why didn't they throw me the ball more? And it's either a knock on Baker Mayfield for not pulling the trigger, or it's a knock on on, uh, Freddie Kitchens and the coaching staff for not calling the plays that were intended to be 
more aggressive and to challenge. But, you know, I keep, I'm going to go back to what I always say, and this is the Patriots' brilliance. It's never about getting the ball to a certain guy. No. It's about throwing the ball to the open man. And if you're open, you get the ball. If you're not, you don't get the ball. The problem is Odo Beckham Jr. thinks he's open even when he's not. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it hasn't gone the way he would like. I would, I would think or the way Baker Mayfield or Freddie Kitchens liked. I mean, there's been plenty of opportunities where he has been open. You know, there's been misfires. He's dropped a few. You know, Baker's about to throw him, throw him the ball and he gets sacked. Or, you know, Baker doesn't see him when he's open a handful of times this year too there's certainly been all of that that have kind of uh led to an underwhelming year statistically for odell beckham jr yeah i'll be interested to see when i go back and watch that film uh because it did just on tv look like that the patriots played man-to-man on odell beckham jr more than i've seen teams play him and i think that's where he's probably talking about going like hey Stephon gilmore is awesome but you know, I, it sounds like he was led to believe if he gets one-on-one against Gilmore that they were going to let him work and do his thing and they were just going to play match-up football and go, hey, we think our guy's better than your guy, even though your guy's really good too. And, of course, there are a lot of teams that do that. But that Why would you lead to be. Him to believe that, though, and not do it? Doesn't that well, create a bigger problem? It, You've it, given him a false impression that you're going to actually attack and you don't. Yeah, that's a problem. It, well, yeah, it's it's a it is a problem, especially when you lose. Uh, you know, I, I just think it's one of those things as the week goes and they see the coverage, and I'm sure Freddie Kitchens and offensive meetings and everything like that, they talk about it a lot. Uh, and I don't know if it was a Baker Mayfield thing, if it was a pass protection thing. Hey, certainly their turnovers uh, led to you know their offense not being able to quite run the way they wanted to it stopped them from getting into a flow of the football game before they were way too down and then they had to kind of change their their formula in general uh but either way I still think Odell Beckham Jr you know tough times yes he's handling himself the right way you can't say that there's I don't think he's trying to stoke the 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 fires here or do anything like that I think he was just trying to give an honest answer he wished he would have got a chance to attack a little bit more one-on-one and and then that's it I don't think he realizes the impact of his words. Yeah, I get you. Just like on Wednesday when he was praising the Patriots so over the top, so incessantly, that if you're Freddie Kitchens, the coach of the team, or Baker Mayfield, the quarterback of the team, and you're thinking, boy, this is not the most flattering possible comparison between me and Bill Belichick or me and Tom Brady. And I think that if if you would apply true serum to Odo Beckham Jr., he'd say, boy, I'm going to spend the next couple of days just staring at my phone to see if I get a phone call that I've been traded to the Patriots because I'd love to get traded to the Patriots. You know, he talked to Tom Brady after the game out in the hallway, and I'm sure Tom Brady would love to have him. Sure. But there's no freaking way that's happening. Oh, I know it's not happening because yeah. the Browns are too hard-headed to admit their mistake. Yeah. Well, why? But they, do you think the Browns deep down, if you apply true serum to John Dorsey, do you think he'd say, I regret trading for Odell Beckham? I Jr.? don't. I don't think he will. Well, it's still too early in the process to, to say that. And, and and again, this is a Browns team that, yeah, a lot of us— How's it uh, too early in the process? There's seven games in. Yeah, there's seven games in. Talk, we're talking about the grand scheme of what they can be. I mean, yeah, we thought maybe they'd get in the playoffs this year. We weren't sure how things would work out. We'll see if— they can go on a run but this is more than just about this year I mean I, they made this play to make sure him and Baker Mayfield are one of the top combos going forward for the next few years and I still think that's a very real possibility as they kind of find their way I think that if it's going to happen it happens quickly right it happens quickly it doesn't take time it happens and here's part of the problem too when you don't show up for the offseason program remember well, when remember when they asked Freddie Kitchens what's he missing yeah and everything. he said the offense yeah yeah right 
No, I, I listen, he's not going to win any PR battles when things are not going good or Baker Mayfield misses him on a few throws and people can throw that back into your face that, hey, well, maybe you would have, if you were here in May, maybe you, you guys would have completed that pass. I get all that. Yes. Um, I think it's deeper than that. But, you know, yeah, he, he gave he gave the public and guys like us one more bullet to shoot with the fact of him not being there in the offseason OTAs and things like that. I don't think it's that big of a deal. I think it's all the Browns figuring out how they want to play an offense. Baker Mayfield not playing as well. Yes, they need to be a little bit better and finding ways to get him the ball in the drop back pass game. Uh, but they're a work in progress and they're they're a young football team. Here's my take on Odo Beckham yeah. Jr. He's still young. There's a certain amount of naivete there, a certain amount of conscious and willing naivete. And he knows what he can do well. He knows he's a great receiver, arguably not numbers wise this year, but overall skill set. Maybe yeah. the best in the NFL. Right. He is craving badly. He is aching for an organization where everyone else is at the same level he's at. Sure. And he was hoping he could kind of will the Browns to that point. He's realizing the Browns aren't there. The Patriots are the one team where everyone else fits with what he brings to the table. Sure. That's why I think he keeps talking about it, he keeps thinking about it, and deep down he keeps hoping for it. And I don't fault him for it. Yeah. I don't fault him for it at all. You know, Antonio Brown got to pick essentially where he went when he was traded. He got to veto this trade and that trade. The Giants didn't give Odo Beckham Jr. a chance to have any input whatsoever. Right. Because if, if if you're Odo Beckham Jr. and they talk to you about trades, they trade me to the Trade me to the Patriots. I'll yeah. redo my contract. I'll do whatever I need to do. Yeah. But uh, I, I f- and 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 I just I feel like this is getting closer and closer to the point where if the Browns lose enough games, these comments are going to be more pointed. He's going to start to get jaded. And I think if it was going to work with Baker Mayfield, it would work already. And here's the other question too: Deep down, does Baker Mayfield think we'd be better off without this guy around? And then oh. you get into an issue with Jarvis Landry and Odell are great friends. How do we ever? How do we pull this off? How do we work this? But it's it's uh, it's dysfunctional, especially because the expectations were so high. Yeah. And they did a poor job of reining them in. And that goes to the organization. That goes to Freddie Kitchens. And, you know, we could talk about this for another 20 minutes. I think Freddie Kitchens is over his skis. He's so far over his skis, he doesn't know he has skis on. Well, I, I mean, hey, there's been moments, yeah, where everything's reared his ugly head. You know, whether, you know, it's Odell, okay, comments like this. And, yeah, you know, he fumbles against the 49ers trying to make something happen. Okay, yeah. You know, Baker Mayfield's thrown a number of dumb interceptions this year. Freddie Kitchens has had some coaching blunders. Oh, we didn't even talk Man. about it during the show. It's fourth and 11. Yeah. And the punt team goes I out know. on the field. Right. Because they didn't have their together. Yeah. When it was fourth down ahead right. of time, knowing that we're going to go for it. So he deliberately does a false start yeah. because he didn't want to use a timeout. Right. So he put his offense back on the field with fourth and, fourth and 16. I mean, think, when have we ever seen that? Where you get yourself in a bad spot. Yep. On a key play where you're trying to keep yourself in the game. And instead of using that timeout, you take a penalty and make it harder to convert the fourth down. Who converts fourth and 16? Yeah. Especially against the Patriots. No, I know. So, I mean, th- this is this is careening out of control for the Browns. And, you know, here's the problem. That organization, once Jimmy Haslam bought the team, they developed such a reputation for firing people too early. They now feel like they have to hold on to people too long. They held on to Hugh Jackson for too long. That was a mistake. And they're going to hold on to Freddie Kitchens for too long. Well, maybe. I don't know. They're so, they're going in the right direction. They just, you know, I think the big question we had was, can they win? Could they win close football games? 
Are they a battle-tested team? Can they handle situational football? What evidence do you point to to support they're going in the right direction? I Because, you know what? They played yesterday in games where I just go, okay, yes, they had some self-inflicted wounds, but they're talented enough to where they're not outclassed on the field by teams like the Patriots anymore. They outplayed the Seattle Seahawks. They were toe-to-toe with the Rams when Baker Mayfield decided to run the draw play on fourth and nine. I mean, you know, some of that stuff I don't get. You know, the 49ers game, it's 10 nothing. They're going into the end zone. There's a walk-in touchdown, and Baker Mayfield throws a rocket behind Antonio Callaway's legs, one foot off the ground. He tries to catch it. It pops it in the air. So the, the blame is all around. You're right. And ultimately, when you say the blame is all around, that goes back to the head coach and the GM and the owner, and I get all of that. Um, we'll see. I, they I got just, a tough stretch. Right. Let's see if they can rebound here it when does, things are a little easier. It does soften, but here's the yeah. thing. I, I, I feel like as the talent improves – these little moments here and there that they've yet to master that cause games to fall apart become more glaring. Yeah. And become more I inexcusable. Get yeah. So especially when you go Rams, Ravens, 49ers, Seahawks, Patriots. I mean, that's that's some of the best yeah. teams we have in the league right now. Well, they get the Steelers twice in the back half, and that yeah. looks like easy. That's, that's not, not gonna be easy. easy. The, no Ste- way. the Steelers are gonna want to remind everyone yeah. that the Browns are still the little brothers. I right. mean, the Browns are gonna be behind the Steelers in the standings when they play, and yeah. the Steelers are gonna do everything they can to keep them there. All right, that's it. Uh, we've said more than enough for this Monday edition of PFTOT. We'll see you tomorrow with another edition of PFT Live. You're off tomorrow. I'm off. I got things I got to do for the company. Is we got I Big Cat do. tomorrow. Oh, Big Cat's coming Big on, Cat on a tomorrow. Tuesday? Whoa. Big Cat on a Tuesday. Is, what about Peter? Is he coming Peter's on Tuesday? He's going to be on Friday when uh, you're asleep. Oh, okay. They're switching days like yeah, that. Good. Days. All right. I won't be asleep. I'll be at Notre Dame I with know, the coaches. You'll so, be asleep hey, at Notre Dame. What part of Kiss you'll My be, Ass don't you'll you be understand? You'll be asleep at the meetings. Right? The hell with you. You'll be, you'll, be texting on, you'll be texting me on your phone. We got two S words and an ass word in this one. All right, Wanker. Uh, Everybody have a good day. (laughs) See See you tomorrow. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.